Um, everybody jumped the gun there, so we'll just edit it to start with me saying, hello, oh, welcome to the... Oh, you just want to be special. No. Uh, no, it doesn't matter. I just want one person to do it. That's all. That's all I ask. It doesn't have to be me. Anyway. And the person has you, to be me. That's the implication. You know, that's why you even said it. To be. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. doesn't is my point. But, sure, but you understand sure. that it brings me joy to interrupt mm-hmm. you? I know. I do. Uh, you're... you're yeah. you, I mean, that says a lot more about where your life's at, I guess. <laughs> I'll tell you where mine Small is. Pleasures. And the, the reason I like the interruption is that it just brings me shooting fraud to see Joe's face. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's democracy, really. You know, you got to keep there doing you go. it. There you go. The majority has ruled, yeah. Joe. It has yeah. been decided. You two always win. This is... <laughs> This is uh, thinking like a lawyer. It's the <laughs> above the law. <laughs> we, we. Okay. <sighs> this is the weekly above the law roundup of big stories mm-hmm. in the legal universe big of stories. the week. Okay. Uh, and yeah, and I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. Those are other people who work at Above the Law. <laughs> My name is Catherine Urbino. Mm. And uh, I'm I'm Professor Williams. Yeah. There you go. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, how ha- Have you started that uh, teaching gig? Today. Or is that still coming? Today. Today's the All first right. day. I'm, I'm officially also another hat. I am officially a professor at Rutgers Newark. There you go. It, it's wild. People keep investing me with authority. I'm like, do you not hear the things I say? <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, um, I guess it's a small talk, blah, 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 what have you. That's when you do the thing. Oh, oh, wait, what is it? You know, small talk. There you That's go. right, small there talk go. time. There I, you go. I've just accepted my fate on this one, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we this just is do a, annoying sound effects. Sorry, folks. Hey, I'm not sorry. The, you know, it, I, I wake up, and I'm not a particularly religious man, but every day I pray to Joe Pesci. And I say, Joe Pesci, help me fuck with Joe Patrice. You know, it's JP either way. <laughs> but yeah, Sounds about um, right. along with the, the lovely viewers and listeners here, I'll be pissing off another audience with my musings about... Uh, black culture i'll be teaching a a course in africana studies and what i feel like is really on brand for me i'm starting the semester off with a nietzsche reading you know (laughs) because everybody expects dead white germans when they start when they're like okay how can i learn more about black people and i'm really looking forward to it Uh, nice for anyone interested the the essay is on, on the use and abuse of history because in my mind i'm like i should assume that my student it's an intro course i should assume that whatever version of African-American history my students have coming in is Obama becoming president was the greatest thing ever. It made everything race neutral. And what I want to start with is a reading from 1800 that's like, oh, history is a fractured thing. The way that we use and teach history has ends to it. And it's interesting to think of history as a rhetorical device. Uh, And if I have a Black author saying that, they'll be like, oh, this is a thing some Black person said for the purpose of Black history, but if I have a white author saying that, then maybe they might think it has something to do with things outside of this course. <laughs> so I'm going to start with a white German. And then from there, you know, we'll, we'll have some fun readings and we'll do the traditional, you know, Martin Luther King stuff. And I have like one to two classes at most about slavery, but it'll be a good time. That sounds fun. Congratulations. Best yeah. of luck. 
Also to Chris's students. Best of <laughs> <laughs> Joe, how was your long weekend? Uh, good, good. Watched some sporting events. They were, um, they mostly cut against me. Yikes. Uh, but, you know, it was fun. Since I last was recorded, I guess I saw, I saw the last match that Serena Williams won in person. I did go to that That's and impressive. she won. She was not, expected to and uh it prolonged her career yet another match and then she lost the next one which i didn't go to but it was exciting to see kind of the end of that era what about you i did some you know barbecuing and i'm from the north so by that i mean grilling but i managed to not burn myself which was the first time that's happened all summer so points for me yeah, I mean, it was getting bad like i kept on just having like a series of like marks on my arm from when i apparently keep on bumping into my grill every time it's on. It's a terrible, terrible plan. That's not recommended at all. But I was very pleased that I was able to, at the final barbecue of the summer, not burn myself. I've been barbecuing for years, by the way, and only this year I seem to have developed this problem. Not entirely sure why, but uh, yeah, thanks for coming along on that journey with me. Quick question. Yeah. Have you considered just not? Burning or, yourself? Or yeah, barbecue? Not. <laughs> no, no, barbecue. Well, Do Get the... <laughs> Smoky, smoky meats are wonderful, but just don't, just don't. I, I mean, I, the first time I was just surprised that I had done it and then I just kept on and yeah, I, I tried, I tried not to. And, the, and one oh, time you I, tried, but is, is, this is a legal podcast. Is there a design flaw with the grill? Are wow. we, are we hearing the beginnings of a class action against? I'm grill? hearing user error. I mean, again, since I've used this grill for multiple years without any burns, seem to have just burned myself in the summer of 2022 for some unclear reason. And I'm hoping I've kicked the problem. I need an ambulance sound effect for ambulance chaser over here. I'm not trying to have a lawsuit here. Mm. I even wore long sleeves one of the times when I was grilling. I was like, oh, this way I won't burn my arms. And I did through the shirt. Mm. It's. It wasn't great. Wow. And I left a mark on the shirt. Oh, I'm sorry, Catherine. We're out of time for <laughs> small talk. Uh, we should get into You're our... You're so damn petty. Yeah. Dude, I, I, I... <laughs> this show began with, I run my life around making you upset, Joe. Like, come on. I'm... You understand that that's why I... Anyway, the first that's topic... That's petty. That... That's just a tradition at this point. <laughs> um, fine. So... The first topic yes. for anybody out there, we we did last week talk a little bit about these bizarre issue spotter that is the challenge to the Trump warrant. Uh, we now have an order on that. It is just as bad as you thought. <laughs> it's actually kind of impressive. I I really and not in a good way. I I really no, didn't think when I well, I thought there there'd be a little bit more effort put into it to attempt. LOL. To make it look like it was vaguely justified by anything, uh, it is not. Uh, it this is makes a, it a lot easier to for the appellate court, though. I mean, it should in a in a real way. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of faith in any of these courts at this it's point, true. which is you know that judicial crisis thing that John Roberts should be concerned about. But I mean, this is. I mean, it's bad. It has whole sections where where she she tries to order. She orders that there be a special master, 
still no explanation why that would ever be. Well, we still don't actually have jurisdiction, subject matter jurisdiction, as far as anyone can tell. But nonetheless, this judge goes forward and says that there needs to be a special master to review the documents. Now, that normally would be attorney-client privilege, of which there aren't any documents here, but she's arguing that it should be executive privilege. Not quite clear why the former president would ever have any executive privilege vis-a-vis the executive branch that exists now. She blows past that, says that there needs to be a special master to look at all the documents to see if there are claims of valid claims of executive privilege. She doesn't set any standards on what that would be. She claims that the current administration has not waived executive privilege, though it has, which is also in that record. So it's unclear how that goes. And then she makes the really bold claim that the Department of Justice is barred from continuing to investigate the case while this is settled, which... Bold. Bold. Uh, You... You really can't tell the DOJ to stop an investigation, no matter what. But here we are. The claim that she makes, which this is the one that's the most hilarious and most likely to, I I think Bradley Moss, who, you know, famed national security lawyer, made this tweet about it, pointing out that this section is going to be cited by every criminal defense lawyer in the world for the next several decades, probably, Mm -hmm. uh, even though... Inevitably, it's going to turn into either getting overruled instantly or more likely, given Republican courts, it's going to turn into a rule that exists just for Donald Trump and for nobody else. But she has a long segment where she says that the mere act of being accused of something is so it can really hurt your reputation. So before a grand jury is allowed to indict anybody, you have to give the defendant full access to all of the evidence so that they can run it through a special master. That is very, very bad decision. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you're trying to get Tony Soprano, you absolutely need to tell him every one of the people who works for him who has a wire before you can possibly arrest or indict him. For the one I was listening, when it's the end of your final period and your criminal law professor is looking over the bullshit you put on the essay, this is what it looks like to everyone else. Yeah. When you're just throwing like spaghetti at the wall and seeing if it fits, and you're like, you you can't charge the defendant with murder because there's a contract issue. You know, this is what it looks like. <laughs> well, you know, you know it's, that's a good point that it, this looks like a bad one L essay in that it pulls threads that seem reasonable in the abstract and then you think about them for a second and it's like no yes an indictment is you know reputationally damaging to people even if they're ultimately acquitted that is true in every case that does not mean you can't indict people (laughs) without giving them a roadmap of uh, which guys in their organization to whack yeah Uh, I think Neil Katyal kind of said it best on Twitter, said, this decision is so bad, I don't know where to begin. (laughs) And he actually explicitly said that any of his first-year law students would have written a better opinion than this. Yeah, former acting solicitor general and guest of this show, Neil Katyal, does have a great thread. Mm -hmm. Definitely definitely worth a look if you want to know a non-exhaustive but still detailed list of everything wrong with Judge Cannon's decision. Yeah, but so 
clearly this is going to get appealed, I would think, if for no other reason than the continued lack of jurisdiction, as far as I could tell. But, you know, the the part that says that grand juries are illegal, basically, uh, or in any functional way, that's uh, pretty damning to all criminal prosecution in this country. And I don't think anybody's going to let that stand. And also like totally way to like mess up the vibes at the end of a long weekend. Like what? (laughs) Why? I'm just trying to watch a little Netflix before I have to go to sleep. Like what? what, what, Why? Yeah, it, it, it is though somewhat embarrassing for the whole Trump judge universe. You know, we, there had been some of them, you know, Ellie Mistal, former, co-host of this show, did a lot of talking over the weekend about how these Trump judges are can't be trusted and they're all political actors. And, you know, fair enough. Not wrong. But, Probably not wrong. Well, you know, but here's the thing that I that I say, like during the whole big lie effort where Trump was trying to get various federal judges that he'd appointed to declare that he'd actually won the election routinely those judges were saying no. So there was an effort on the part of some of these people to distance themselves from the idea they were political actors. And Aileen Cannon just doesn't want to do that, apparently, uh, because she really has leaned into, I will I will make my public record that I write gibberish as you I mean, know, her I, brand. You have to imagine this is also problematic and embarrassing for Gibson Dunn, where she worked for a couple of years as yeah. a junior associate. Also, she was a U.S. A- assistant U.S. attorney, right? Like, she should really know better. I mean, yeah. Well, you know, in fairness, not to ding the Department of Justice, there's a lot of great people there, but there is something to be said for when you hold as much power as the Department of Justice does, Sometimes AUSAs, a lot of AUSAs come out and they're crack lawyers and can just move right on. And then a lot of them come out like they smoke crack uh, just (laughs) because they hold all the cards so much. There's not like a lot of skill development sometimes, Uh, depending on what Mm -hmm. branch of the U.S. Attorney's Office you're in. Some of those departments, you get cases that you're going to win 100% of the time every lawyer is going to make a deal with you 100% of the time, you don't necessarily get the experience to get better at certain things. Also, also on the shame list, I think, is the University of Michigan where she got her JD. Yeah, so this is, this is a zany opinion. Uh, who knows where this goes from here? Oh, I mean, well, we know it's at least going to get appealed on some grounds. The query is whether this gets turned into a series of delay motions. Uh, It gets appealed, part gets overturned, but they find some stupid reason to send it back down with some kind of limiting language and force it. You just delay, 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 such that, you know, you can avoid justice forever. Uh, That sort of thing. Anyway, it's unfortunate. Is there anything else on this topic or... We're just waiting now. I mean, it's, yeah. it is okay. what it is. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. 
Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. There's been another big development in, well, not so much the lawyerly world, but partially in the lawyerly world and definitely in the world of people who are higher educated as a whole. We've had some debt relief come down the pipe. Uh, yeah. And there's a particular lawyer who, you know, is not all that happy because it's not going to help her all that much, but... Yeah. Yeah, uh, the New Yorker had done a story on the aging of student debtors uh, in America. And one of the stories that they illuminate there stood out for above the law purposes was a 91 year old who took out twenty nine thousand dollars in student loans to attend NYU law. And (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't end good, this story. But now at 91 owes over three hundred and twenty nine thousand dollars. How does that even happen? Well, that that is a great question. Uh, compound interest uh, <laughs> is, is most of the reason. And actually, this was one of my most, uh, I got the most feedback on this story of kind of anything I've written in the oh, last yeah. week. And mostly people being like, how does this happen? Or I don't believe that this happens. And I mean, listen, the actual, the New Yorker author had actually sat down with Betty Ann, no last name, uh, and went through her paperwork and her documents and was able to kind of verify all this information. But it's compound interest, right? The fact that, that that's how this happens. $10,000, $20,000 if you had Pell loans is great. And for, I think it's 45% of people that erases all of their student debt. And that is wonderful for them. But let's not pretend that it's over. I mean, yeah, that, that compound interest will get you, uh, especially if you are, you and know, penalties somebody who's and yeah. Well, and if you're 91, if you've retired uh, mm-hmm. and not, you know, kept working to pay all that off, uh, or are are even just paying the minimums, it's going to outstrip that. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, really, I really am not sure yeah. if people, if ge- people generally will get an understanding of com- of compound interest first. Or if physicists will understand how the Higgs boson adds mass. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're both <laughs> they are both difficult to understand. I mean, it was this now, this is the I'm a lawyer, I was told there was no math, but I'm trying to think back. Compound interest, was that the PERT thing? Remember that? I don't know. I that. think that was the formula where it's like principal and then that logarithm, the E times rate and time. I think that's how you calculate. Anyway, my money is on his boson. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that was what it was. Anyway, the point is, yes, this can happen, especially if you're not paying your minimums. And frankly, if you are paying your minimums, you're still going to be falling behind, which that's a whole other thing that we have credit in this country that explicitly charges minimums 
with an eye towards the fact that it will keep digging you deeper, mm-hmm. which is, you know, unfortunate. But it should be yeah. criminal. And, well, and this is bad for people who aren't getting access to any kind of public interest help. Uh, if they are going into the public interest, where we do need people to be lawyers, mm-hmm. and they if they aren't getting any help in that area, then they're very much falling behind in these in these loans and greatly need some relief. That said, largely this isn't going to help lawyers uh, just because it applies to people who are making under, what is it? 125. 125,000, which was a first year salary when I started, but <laughs> is no longer a first year salary generally. So As that a doesn't person that is affected, I'm happy though. <laughs> well, right. Um, yes. Yeah, so if you've taken your law degree and decided to write for a legal publication, you are very, you're very much better off. Uh, if, however, you've taken your Take law that, degree. friends of Kravitz. Who's really winning? You, a but still. Yeah. <laughs> And become a lawyer, it is going to be harder for you to get access to it. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. You know, the New Yorker story, Betty Ann worked for a nonprofit for years, um, is now retired. And, and that is the problem, right? Wait, is what that... happened to the 10 years forgiveness thing? No, no that, that's all new. Oh, that, that that's oh. all relatively recent, too. Right. She, uh, she took this out in the 80s, these loans. So, 40 yeah. years? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. D- d- what? Yeah. Math well, you, is not my strong suit, <laughs> nor is it hers. You knew that when they said NYU was twenty nine thousand total for three years right. of a degree. Right. She actually <laughs> talked. One of the things that she talks about in the story too is tuition. I guess at the time for a year was about ten thousand dollars, and as a black woman feeling very ridiculed by her classmates, as one would just like be like, oh, this is my full tuition check from my father kind of thing and, and mm. having her and being kind of insulted and having her books pushed off tables and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's not great. I mean, th- there is something to be said for the rise in school tuition has been a great equalizer because now rich people need loans. Too. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, it's, it's problematic. And look, there's a lot of people who are complaining about this debt relief. Most of those complaints are nonsensical. Uh, mm. They say things like, it's going to raise your taxes, which it won't. It's just not having to pay extra interest doesn't have much impact on that bottom line number. There is a mild speculative chance that it increases kind of a moral hazard and makes schools feel like they can raise tuition more. Mm-hmm. The answer to that, of course, is clearly they haven't been worried about that over the last several <laughs> years, no matter what's been going on. And it is very speculative. And it's not a one-off policy you know like we can we can follow on this relief with some actual reform of how schools charge tuition so we absolutely should yeah all right so closing out there was a new york times magazine article that was of great interest uh, because it talked about one of our favorite firms yeah, I mean, I think the word favorite is a weird choice, but certainly um, one we write about frequently. Let's yeah. say that. Uh, so Jones Day uh, was the subject of a long-form piece in the New York Times Magazine that was very, very good. Uh, an even longer form of it is available because it was written by the author of a new book, Servants of the Damned, which is an article about how corporate law firms got involved in the various ethical 
lapses of the last administration. And obviously, it's not just Jones Day in that camp, but it's mostly Jones Day in that camp. (laughs) So Jones Day obviously put a lot of the high-end officials in the Trump White House. But the story of the history of the firm was very interesting. Obviously, this is a over a century old law firm, but it really didn't become this kind of conservative think tank until the early 2000s, when its new management decided to actively position itself as a ideological law firm. Mm. Yeah, and brought people on for that purpose. And you know, this prompted some controversy-ish over here at Above the Law, because one of our columnists is a former Jones Day partner, and he wrote a piece defending the firm and pointing out that, you know, it's a gl- I think that the point that he makes is not, well, I, I have I have thoughts, but the point is generally that, you know, the average attorney who works with the firm, it's a, it's, it's a massively large firm. The majority of folks do not work on any of these cases. They're just, you know, kind of run-of-the-mill big law attorneys working on the same sorts of cases that you would imagine in any massive yeah. law firm, which is true, but... Yeah, it's a global law firm, a trust and estates lawyer working out of, the, I don't know, a Paris office or something like that is not deeply involved in any of this. On the other hand... They're providing the money that funds all these pro bono efforts. Yeah, and they aren't pro bono, Some, but they well, are, from the perspective of the firm's bottom line, they probably are pro bono, right? Like, I'm sure they charge the Republican Party to represent them in the lawsuit to throw out all the Pennsylvania ballots, which is a thing that this firm did. That said, now they argue they didn't try to throw them out. They tried to have them never count in the first place. So that's their semantics. Yeah, they, 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 they didn't argue on the back end. They tried to say that we should be allowed to just not let these people vote in the first place. Point is, those efforts, I'm sure they charge money for, but in the grand scheme of keeping the firm afloat, that's not cutting it. Uh, the reason this firm is a top AMLAW firm is all the other nonpartisan corporate work they're doing, right? And it makes you have to sit back if you're saying, hey, well, not all these lawyers are involved in this stuff. You kind of are because your whole work is to subsidize this. Mm -hmm. The firm leadership has made clear this is what they care about, this loss-producing anti-revenue center uh, to push ideological causes. And your work is just there to feed it. And at a certain point, you have to sit back and go, do I want that to be my role? Listen, especially for folks who have a choice of what big law firms to work for, know that this firm comes with very specific baggage. Mm -hmm. I think, I assume certain, if I am getting a resume across my desk and I see Jones Day for the last 10 years, I think certain things. And if those things are not you, you know, maybe you should be looking for another location. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And, you know, Jones Day also hires a lot of clerks Mm -hmm. and gives them massive, uh, massive bonuses. But, you know, there's... There's a cost to that. I mean, you are literally working for the firm from the Tom Cruise movie, basically. <laughs> you know, lot less intense running, though. I imagine. I I don't know. Like physical running, I don't know. I think there's. We a should lot have of- a Jones Day marathon where we just watch <laughs> Jones Day people intensely run. Love it. Yeah. No, but 
It's a bad sitch. I have not finished Servants of the Dam, but I do have a copy of it. I don't know as though it's actually out yet, but I have an advanced copy, so it may be out. Uh, I have been reading it here and there. There's a lot of interesting insights in it. I'm sure there's plenty that you can use for fodder and the pages of Above the Law. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, so I think that brings us to the end of everything we had scheduled to talk about, unless something else has happened while we've been recording. Uh, I'm not going to check because... Neither will I. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't want to know the latest brain fart from Judge Cannon right now. I haven't had breakfast today, and uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can stomach some new revelations. Speaking of clerks, I actually want to have an, someday an oral history of her clerks. Uh, how did they? How did they work on this? Did they open up Westlaw or Lexis and then get told, "Nah, nah, we're not going to need that today." Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't don't go messing this up with any of your your highfalutin Westlaw searches. Fair. Red red flags mean awesome. Maybe uh, it could be a class at uh, UCLA. There's a professor that's <laughs> teaching a course on uh, Elon Musk's uh, corporate lawsuits, and it's just a it's just a long run of his failures. I mean, I mean, I mean, case cases, and, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, but, you know, we've talked before about how the value of a federal clerkship in hiring used to be, if you've got that, that's a person you want to grab immediately, and how some of these judges are making it harder and harder to justify hiring a clerk. Any clerk involved in this opinion, I'm not sure I would uh, automatically pull the trigger on. Uh, Unless you're Jones Day. I would need to have a talk. Uh, see, <laughs> see how that. Pl- that I begged her not to do yeah, any right. of these like, things. I'd, I'd want to hear that yeah. before I decided yeah, to throw allow that judge this person under to the bus because I'm pretty sure those, the appellate courts are about to do that. Anyway, so with that, uh, that closes up for the day. Thanks for listening. You should be reading above the law to read these and other stories before we chat about them here. You should be listening to this show as you are every week. Best way to do that is to subscribe so you get the episodes when they drop. You should give reviews, stars, write something. Always very valuable to you know, spreading the love of the show. You Spread should, the good word of yeah. being like a lawyer. You can also listen to the Jippo, Catherine's other podcast. I'm a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. There are also many Legal Tech Network. I said Legal Tech there because these words all come together. Network. I do mean Legal yeah. Talk. LT, yes. you know. I yeah, they're LTs. Yeah. Anyway, there's a bunch of Legal Talk Network shows that we aren't on, but you should check those out as well. Uh, follow social media. The Above the Law Twitter account is at ATL blog. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, which is that numeral one at the end. Chris is at Rights for Rent. And what else? That's it. Yeah, I Peace. Think that is it. Yeah. Okay. Talk to everyone later. Have a good one. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, 
to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.